Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag on the Smart Money Mama Show. I'll be answering questions directly from listeners like you. Now, typically, our questions in these mailbags are centered around our monthly theme on the podcast, but this month, we abandoned our usual theme structure to create the necessary space to talk about racial inequality and our commitment to being actively anti-racist at Smart Money Mamas. I just want to take a pause and say how grateful I am for the conversations our community had this month and how our mamas really showed up for each other. We still have so much work to do, but we you are all amazing. Now, I say all this because our shift does mean we have a wider range of questions than usual. We don't have that theme to kind of tie everything together, but I think you can handle that, right? Today, we're going to discuss finding your own path, thinking about investment goals once you're on track for retirement, 529 college savings plans, and getting the accountability you need on your money journey. For an overview of this month's questions and to download your free family money values template, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 45. As one final reminder, and then I promise, I promise we'll get started. For these mailbag episodes, we source our questions from our free Mamas Talk Money community on Facebook, which we'd love to have you join, or our voicemail line, where you can leave me an audio message at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail. All right, all right, it's time to get started. Let's bring on Lauren, my integrator here at Smart Money Mamas, and dive into your questions. How's it going, Lauren? It is going pretty well. Is it hot up there in Maine? It is not as hot as it has been lately. It's kind of cloudy and foggy. It's a nice break. We sent the boys to the lake, uh, my in-laws, for a couple of days because it's so hot here. And I don't know about Ainsley, but our boys, as soon as they're outside, they're like beet red and look like they're going to pass out. They do not deal with heat very well. <laughs> oh, no. I have not experienced that yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. So they're, they're spending a few days in the water. But we have some good questions today. We really do. I'm excited. Let's dive into the first one. Okay. Our first question is a little bit of a longer one. It came in through our voicemail line, and I want to include the whole question since I think it'll help everyone get a good picture, and I think it's a place a lot of us have been. Awesome. The message says, Hi, Chelsea. This is Tawny from Clearwater, Florida, and I was wondering, where should someone start when they're basically starting over but don't have any direction? About me briefly, I've worked as a hairstylist, I've worked in a lot of different social work type careers, and have never really found something that I love. I know that I am smart and capable, and I have a lot of things that I'm passionate about, but there's nothing that screams to me, this is what you should do, this is what you should pursue. And now I'm finding myself somewhat financially secure, but unemployed. I'm enjoying this time off with my daughters because it's summer and going back to school still feels like a big question mark with coronavirus and all of the restrictions. I'm really looking to use this time to elevate myself and feel like it's an opportunity. And I'm really just feeling like I have no idea where to go, what to even be working on or developing. I know that this is a great opportunity and that I'm capable of achieving anything, but I really don't even know what literally the next step is and how to get started. Oh, man. (laughs) I don't know if you have any advice for me. I feel like I kind of need a guidance counselor to point me in some sort of direction and just say, sign up for this and get it done already. Thank you. I appreciate all that you do. 
Oh man, Lauren, we have all been in that place, right? I of have. like, I don't know what to do. Many, many times. <laughs> First of all, Tawny, I love your confidence. So you're like, I know I can do anything. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I think this comes back to a lot of the issues I have with the pursue your passion line of thinking. And I think that's important, but I, I think we've created this narrative that we all are supposed to know, right? Like that when you find your passion, you're going to immediately know you're going to want to commit all your time to it. It's not going to be hard. You're just going to be like, I'm doing this job and now nothing is work, right? It's the, it's a very dangerous narrative because we have to be on the path first. We can see glimmers of interest in things. Like she says, she has a lot of different passions, But to really build that history and career with a topic, you've got to get in and start doing it. So Tawny, my first piece of advice for you is to sit down and think about if your life was exactly the way you wanted it to be, how would you want to feel? And we talk about this, Lauren, in our How to Set Life-Changing Financial Goals course specifically. And also Danielle Laporte, who wrote Desire Map, talks about this as well. What do you want? Do you want to feel challenged? Do you want to feel fulfilled? Do you want to feel impactful? Whatever it is. And then brainstorm which of the activities you do bring you those feelings. What are you doing on a day-to-day basis that makes you feel that way? And then is there a way to create a side business, a side hustle, a full-time business that fits that need or a career that fits that need that starts working it? And then I want you to not pressure yourself that this has to be the thing that you do for the next 20 years. And so really big fan of the test and scale. So come up with something that seems like a good idea and say, I'm going to spend three months doing this. I'm going to dig in. This is my goal. I want to make X amount of money in the next three months. I want to you know, maybe land two clients or I want to do whatever it is, set a goal. And then if you get to the end of three months and you like it, figure out a way to advance. Could you take another training to get you deeper into that field? Could you set a bigger goal, take on more clients and keep going? You might have to pivot. You might say like, okay, I really like being a VA, but I really, my favorite work is working on Instagram. So now I'm going to try to be an Instagram VA, right? You can keep scaling. You just have to start taking action. And I think remove some of that pressure that you don't know what to do because there's not a guidance counselor that can be, can give you a test to say, this is what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. And it's completely okay to change your goals down the road. What do you think, Lauren? I think that's really sound advice coming from another multi-passionate person. Like I could be legitimately happy and fulfilled and excited by several different things that I do. And I've tried many of them and I've been happy doing many of them. And some, some are just better for different times of my life than others. And I think you have the freedom to play. So like, just go do that. Yeah, that sounds great. And if you are a book reader... I am a huge fan of all different types of books, but I really highly recommend you look at You're Not Stuck by Maxine McCoy, which is a really good book about that feeling of like, I don't know what to do or where to go next. Um, and she's great at the, okay, let's take start taking small steps. Like, let's not tell ourselves that we need the whole picture of where we want to be in 20 years, but let's say like, okay, where do we want to be tomorrow? Where do we want to be next week? And then just start kind of working towards it. That's a great book for that as well. But good luck, Tani. This sounds like an exciting time. Our next question is from Wanda. She says, I will max out my 401k this year. And when I retire, I'm eligible for a pension from my company. We're working to pay down our house and have no real purchases in the foreseeable future. I think I'm on track for retirement, but should I put excess money in a traditional IRA, I will not get the tax benefits from that or the growth life strategy fund. Or is there harm in funding both? 
Not sure if I should focus on one or hedge my bets and just put money in. I just want to build up to ensure I have enough for retirement and provide a foundation for my son's future. Lauren, I feel like we need a clap track and like, woohoo for Wanda. Like maxing out your 401k is a huge achievement. Like that's amazing. Great job on that. And you're eligible for a pension, which really does sound like you're on track for retirement. And that's amazing. The thing is in financial education in general, there's kind of this like the cliff, right? Where like, you know, get out of debt, save for retirement, make sure you're all organized and then like, well, do whatever you want. Uh, We don't have a real good explanation. And so let's talk about this a little bit. And you specifically asked about whether you should fund a traditional IRA or a growth life strategy fund, which is a Vanguard mutual fund, guys. Other companies have them as well, but it's like an all-in-one portfolio that manages your asset allocation between stocks and bonds and typically is used for, you know, if you're saving for a life goal 10 to 20 years down the road. And so in this instance, a traditional IRA, what Wanda's talking about is that if you make a certain amount of money, you no longer benefit, get the tax benefits of a traditional IRA, which would be normally, if you put money in it, you get to deduct that amount from your taxes that year. She won't get that benefit. And so the option is, do you put the money in and then transfer it into a backdoor Roth IRA, which is a system of taking the money that you put into an IRA that you've already paid taxes on and having Vanguard convert it into a Roth, which is a loophole in the system that allows you to access a Roth, even if you make too much money to access a Roth. It's not as straightforward as what we just said, but we'll put a link in the show notes into how to do a backdoor Roth. And there's some complications of like making sure you only have one IRA and how you transfer it over year to year, but you can do that. That's the only option that's on the table in your situation to continue to get tax benefits for retirement savings. So that's a consideration. Other than that, we often see at this point is, do you want to save for a bigger goal? Is there something that you're looking to do, like buy real estate rental properties or buy a vacation home or do something a little bit different? In that case, taxable investments are fine, maybe a growth life strategy fund. Or do you just want to speed up your retirement? So it's great that you're on track for retirement and you'll be able to retire at 65. But do you want the option of retiring at 60 or 55 or 50? In which case, you just got to start continuing to invest that money. So when you say a growth life strategy fund, you could do that, but you could also buy a target date retirement fund in a taxable account, which is still has that higher, tends to have a higher risk profile because it's imagining that your retirement is years, years and years away and can save you. Or do you just buy a total stock market index fund and a total bond market index fund and balance that asset allocation yourself? Either way, you're creating bigger and bigger assets for your future retirement whenever that is. There's no harm in doing multiple things. As long as you're continuing to invest, you're building that asset pool to make sure you have options as you get closer to retirement. Does that make sense, Lauren? (laughs) I bet it does to someone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still so at the beginning of thinking about retirement that it's nice to hear this because I'm sure I'm going to need to hear it 45 more times before it sinks in. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. The one other thing, Wanda, that you mentioned here is you want to provide a foundation for your son's future. In that case, you can also look at, do you want to fund a 529, which we're going to talk about 529s in a second, which is like a college savings fund for kids. Do you want to start to fund you know, a trust or, or think about how you want that money to be used for him in the future? If you put the money in a standard taxable brokerage account, you have complete open option to use it for whatever you want. So 
if you decide that you're going to work to 65 and you have extra retirement money, you know, that's where we start to see people really leaning on building generational wealth, right? Helping their kids pay for college, helping their kids buy their first home, right? These things that weren't options before, but you have that money there and you can do whatever you want to do to, to fit for your son's future. So those are options as well. All right. We have questions about 529s. Are we ready? Yes. So ready. <laughs> Michelle actually has two questions. Her first one is not 529, but the second one All is. Right. So I'll give you the first one to start. I was furloughed at work and my husband worried that filing for unemployment would come back to bite us during tax time. Outside of potentially shifting our tax bracket due to a higher income and balancing with holdings, are there tax considerations specific to unemployment benefits? Yes. <laughs> so you pay taxes, income taxes, on your unemployment benefits. The difference is when you're working a standard job, somebody else takes the taxes out for you and withholds them. That's withholding that you mentioned here, Michelle. No one does that with your unemployment. So if you make $100 in unemployment, you should set aside $25 to $30 of that to pay taxes at tax time because you're going to have owed money on anything that you make. So that is the withholding thing you have to keep in mind. Now, this is really, really hard to do because often when you're filing for unemployment, you need that money. <laughs> you can't just like take 30% of it and put it in the bank for later, but that is what you have to do or you have to keep calculating it. So even if it means having a spreadsheet and like keeping a total of what 30% of your total unemployment is so that once you get a job again later this year, you can save up for it for tax time, knowing you're going to get hit with that bill. But you have to remember that you're going to owe income taxes on your unemployment benefits. That's the biggest concern. I do want to mention, you said here, potentially shifting our tax bracket due to a higher income. I'm sure Everyone listening understands this. If you don't, I want to make really clear, this is a misnomer a lot of times with income taxes and this idea that I don't want to make more money because I don't want to go into a higher tax bracket, right? We've all heard this before, but that's not how our income tax system works. You will never have less money because you earned more money due to taxes. Let's say you're in the 15% income tax bracket and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, so I'm going to make them up, but let's say you cross over you know, at... $50,000, you owe 20% taxes, right? And you currently owe 45. What happens is you owe 15% up to $50,000. And then any money you make over $50,000, you pay 20% on. So you still get to keep the 80%. And so going into a higher tax bracket is never a bad thing. <laughs> it never results in less money. You don't pay higher taxes on the rest of your money behind you. And so let's keep that in mind. It I wouldn't worry about getting unemployment in that specific issue. I did not know that. <laughs> I learned something else. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was like, that makes so much sense. We have talked about that in my house, that very issue. You guys, Lauren and I are on video as we're recording this, so we can see each other. And I'm speaking, and I was watching Lauren's face. I'm like, Lauren didn't know this <laughs> before I said this. True. So I'm glad we talked about it. All right. I'm going to give you her 529 question. All right. We are hoping to invest in a 529 plan for our sons, but the whole thing feels overwhelming. What should a family look out for in a good plan? Is it recommended to get separate plans for each kid or is it better to just keep investing in the stock market and hope for strong returns over time? Oh, Michelle. 
529s, as, as if investing wasn't complicated enough, we created a system where every state gets to create their own 529. Some states have multiple 529s. And you can invest in any one of them. You don't have to invest in the one in your state. So yes, it is complicated and overwhelming and super frustrating when you don't know what's going on. So let's talk about it. So why does each state have their own 529 plan? The reason is that some states, many states, offer some sort of tax benefit for funding your kid's education through a 529. And some of them even offer matching and gift and like gifts into your account for doing that work. Now, in most cases, the benefit is fairly small. There's a couple of states. Maine is one of them, which is actually where Lauren lives, that will put in like 150 bucks or so if you're actively each year if you're actively investing in your 529. And that's like one of the best options. In most cases, the deductions that you get on your taxes are deductions on state taxes. So that amount isn't a huge benefit because you know your state tax rates might only be 3% or 4% or 5%, or you might live in a state that doesn't have state taxes, right? So the benefit isn't huge. So what I would recommend is first, step one, look up what your state's benefits are and what your plan's fees are. So we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and a lot when we talk about investing, about the importance of fees and how that eats away at your long-term returns. 529s are a place where fees can get really, really high. Um, management fees can get really, really high. So just keep an eye out. We actually have a post on the site about the best 529s and where the fee offsets the state tax benefit. So we'll link to that in the show notes. But first look to your state and see if you even have a benefit. If you do have a benefit, make sure that it's worth it you know, worth it for the fee. The second step is if your state does not have a benefit, just pick a low fee fund, anyone. And there's a couple really good ones. Utah has a great one um, that's managed by Vanguard. New York state has a really excellent one. Uh, and so does Illinois. Those are three options. And you can just look up those three states and start to fund a 529. Even if you have state tax benefits, you can't go wrong with those three. Yes, you might save a little bit of money on the state tax benefits with your 529s, but it's not going to be make or break, and you can use any fund. And if, if your biggest roadblock is just, what do I do? Just pick one of those three. You're going to be fine. The next part of the question is, do you have to have separate plans for each kid? You don't have to because 529s can be transferred to other people, so you could split it in the future. In general, it's much easier to have separate funds for each kid because it's going to impact how you apply for financial aid for those kids and how that money is used. Uh, and it's just easier to start from the beginning and just have separate plans for each kid. Um, it's not going to really cost you anymore unless you're in a state where they charge like an annual management fee, um, like a fixed annual management fee. But most states have kind of gone away with that. But I'd have separate accounts. The last part of the question, is it better to just keep investing in the stock market and hope for strong returns over time? So this is the one I want to be really clear on. 529s are investing in the stock market. As long as you don't choose the money market fund, which is more like a high yield savings account, most options in a 529 are encouraging you to invest for your kid's college future. And so you'll have options. And once again, these all depend a little bit by state, but most states have age-based options. So if your kid is zero to four, if your kid is four to eight, and then different, you can either have conservative, moderate, or growth. And that's typically what's offered. Some states are really good, like New York and Utah have, you can actually do full index funds. You could just buy a total stock market index fund or a total buy bond market index fund like you would anywhere else. But what you're doing when you choose one of those age-based funds, if you went into any state and said, I want, you know, my boys, like I want the zero to four 
growth fund is you're buying stocks and bonds. You are investing for the future. And there are tax benefits uh, to using a 529 over over just keeping a taxable brokerage, which is that 529s work very much like Roth IRAs. So when you put the money in, any growth over the next 10, 15 years is not taxable if you use it for qualified education expenses. And that can be college, that can be trade school, that can be you know a range of different things. But that's the reason to use a 529 over a, over a standard brokerage. That was a lot of information. Follow-up questions, Lauren? It was. Super helpful. Less a question and just why? Why should it be by state? And then now I can go to any state just to make it confusing. (laughs) That has got to trip a lot of people up. It does trip a lot of people up. And the other thing is that kids can have multiple 529s. And so you'll have instances where, actually, this is a great example. So Henry, our our oldest, he has the Utah Vanguard, Vanguard 529. When we when he was born, we lived in Massachusetts. Massachusetts at the time did not have a 529 state tax benefit. And so it wasn't worth using their plan. So we used Utah. Then we moved to Connecticut. Connecticut does have low fees on there. It's uh, called CHET is the, the Connecticut 529. They have low fees and good benefits for using their plan, including matching and, and some other things, especially if you start young. So we opened a second 529 for Henry that's in Connecticut. And like we will eventually merge them, but for now he just he just has two 529s. And then George, we didn't open it until we he was really little when we moved here. So we hadn't opened his 529 yet. So he just has one. But yeah, it gets it gets very confusing. I think the thing is that don't get too stuck in the analysis paralysis. Like I said, if you use Utah, New York, Illinois, you're gonna have really good options. You're gonna have low fees, and you're and that's that's perfect. <laughs> This is all very good to know, as I have not set up Ainsley's yet, and definitely want to. Yes, for sure, especially in Maine, because you have good benefits. We do. They send it to you the moment you get out of the hospital, and I've been saving it. Why? Who knows? Procrastination (laughs) issues. Um, (laughs) We're actually going to. I know that too. We're actually going to cover something similar in the next question from our friend Maria. She asks, is it possible for a child to have more than one 529? My dad opened up 529s for all three of my children. My husband and I did the same. Should I merge our account into his or vice versa or keep two separate 529s for my kids? Oh, good question, Maria. Okay. So like we just said, kids can have multiple 529s. That's completely, completely fine. Merging them sometimes makes things simpler, just less things to keep track of. It will not impact your growth, right? So if all else being equal, if you had $100 in one account and $100 in another account or $200 in just one place, the growth is going to be the same. It just all adds up, adds up the same. The only thing in this question in particular that I want to make sure we mention is that there's a difference between a grandparent-owned 529 and a parent-owned 529 when you start to go to apply for financial aid. And so the way it works is a a parent-owned asset is viewed in the name of the parent. And so that has a 5.6%, which you don't need to remember that specific number, but just for reference, 5.6% impact on aid. So if you had $1,000 in a parent-owned 529, they would reduce your age eligibility by just over $50 based on that's how much they would expect to be used for college expenses. If it was a child-owned asset, So if it was like you opened an account in your kid's name somewhere else, which I know a 529 is technically in their name, but they treat it as a parent asset. 
$200 would be assumed to be used for the kid, right? Instead of the, the $50 as a parent-owned asset. So parent-owned assets are better than kid-owned assets. Grandparent assets are not included on the FAFSA, right? So on first blush, something that we hear from people a lot is like, we're going to have our parents open 529s for our kids because it won't reduce aid eligibility. But withdrawals from a parent-owned 529 to pay for a kid's college do not count as income to the child. They have no impact on future aid eligibility. Withdrawals from a grandparent-owned asset are treated as income for the child. And any income your child earns has a 50% reduction on aid eligibility. So in year one and year two, no impact, right? No impact. If you're using a grandparent-owned 529, year one and year two, no impact. Awesome. Like we didn't, we didn't even get that 5% reduction on the value of the account. Year three and year four of college, because the federal aid application is two years backward looking, now you've reduced their aid eligibility by 50% based on what you withdrew on years one and year two. And so that is a really big impact. So if I was you, Maria, and the too long answer that I gave here is I would merge them all into parent-owned assets just for simplicity. I think you can track it easier. You can keep track of how well you're doing on saving towards your goals for your kid's college. You can put them all in one place. And most 529s now have really simple options for grandparents to contribute to accounts. There's ways that they can do that. And so I'd put it in one place. If you were wanted to really maximize financial aid eligibility... What you could do is keep two at two different 529s, a parent-owned one and a grandparent-owned one. In freshman and sophomore year, use the parent-owned 529, right? That 5% impact. Junior and senior year, use the grandparents because, because it's two years backward looking, it'll never hit the federal aid form, right? Because by year five, when you look at year three, your kid's already graduated. And so that's the kind of best way mathematically, but it seems like a headache that really just isn't worth the trouble. And I just put them all in a parent owned 529. And all of this is a little bit mute. If you're someone who has a really high income and a ton of savings and you're not going to qualify for financial aid, but most families do qualify for some aid. So we do want to keep it in mind. Cool. This is all really good to know. <laughs> when you first mentioned the grandparent owned 529, I was like, oh, of course, because that wouldn't affect their FAFSA. So I'm super glad that you explained it because I already assumed the wrong thing. <laughs> well, it's the FAFSA in itself is its own beast, right? It's complicated to handle and knowing the best way. And we get these questions about like, should we have Roth IRAs for our kids? Should we use our own Roth IRAs? And 529s are built to do this. And so I think that that tends to be the best way. Now, the only question we tend to get about 529s is like, what if my kid doesn't go to college, right? And so if I've saved in a different way, if I've saved in a Roth IRA, or I've saved even just in a standard taxable brokerage, they could use the money for whatever they want. And I think that that really depends on your comfort level. So we have 529s, like I said, for both our boys. And our assumption is even if they do not go to college, they will get some form of higher education. They will go to trade school or vocational school. And in many, many cases, the 529 can be used for those things. There's even you know, ways that you can, if you're going to apprentice at a vocational school and you need tools, the 529 can pay for your first round of tools. While you might not be able to use all the money in the account, you can spend down some of it. 
and still get all those tax benefits, the the gains, and then decide what you want to do with it. You can take the tax penalty on withdrawing it for non-education expenses if you want. You can roll it over to another child, right? So you could, if your other kid is going to go to med school or law school or whatever, or just go get their master's, you could move it into their name really easily. You could move it for grandkids in the future. You have some options. And so we don't overfund a 529 and like it just for clarity on how we think about it. We are funding a 529 for state education. Um, If they want to go to UConn down the street from where we live, they will have enough money. And then any extra savings that we're able to do for them, we're going to keep in a brokerage and kind of give ourselves some options. But 529s really are built to, to do this, help you save for college. So many things. I know. I'm kind of feeling like hopefully no one's like having to go back every question. Can we listen to that again? Chelsea's just rambling today, but whatever. That's the beauty of a podcast. (laughs) Not because you're rambling is not what I meant, but because you can go back. Sure, Lauren. Sure. (laughs) She doesn't believe me, guys. All right. Our very last question comes from Sadie. And I saved it for last since I know this is something you're going to want to talk about here. She asks, do you recommend financial coaches for people who have the knowledge but need accountability with budgeting? If so, what are some affordable options or people you recommend? I don't want to just pay for another service or thing I won't use. Mm, Good question. All right, Lauren, I guess we can tell everyone. So, um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren loves when I announce new things before I tell her I'm going to announce new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this summer, we're going to be rolling out the Motivational Mama Society, which is specifically for this, Sadie. If you want to reach bigger financial goals, if you want to earn more money, if you want to just generally be more fulfilled, but you want a community where you can get ongoing education and accountability and community that is going to be this membership. We're going to launch the founding members beta within the next few weeks here. And we're really, really excited about it. And that is probably the most affordable option for specifically what you're recommending. The founding mama's price is going to be $15 a month, right? So it's super easy. There's a monthly live accountability and Q&A call with me. There's a monthly masterclass with an outside expert. So that's really built for exactly what you're asking. But I want to answer about financial coaches too, because I think that financial coaches can be really, really amazing when you need them. So this is real handholding. And this is not always, you know, this is not going to be a cheap option. Often it's, you know, several hundred dollars to get a good financial coach. But if you're someone who really needs just constant kind of feedback and discussion um, with one person, someone who's going to text you a couple times a week and be like, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? This can be a really good resource. What I would recommend is make sure that you check credentials and testimonials for financial coaches. Financial coaches are a place that I will be completely honest with you. I struggle sometimes. There are a lot of people who don't have deep money training and background that become coaches, and they can be good coaches in the things that they went through, but coaching is emotional and coaching is understanding the, you know, the money, the money histories and the money mindsets and understanding all the fundamentals of how these different accounts work. And so sometimes I see coaches, maybe they paid themselves out of debt and they became a financial coach and now they're making suggestions about how people start investing or they're making suggestions to people whose lives looked really different from theirs and that they don't understand. And that can be a dangerous situation, both for your money and just for your your money mental health of feeling like maybe you're just getting the wrong advice. So if you want to hire a financial coach, they can be really, really good. 
but make sure you do your background research, ask them what kind of training they had, ask them if they've had any kind of real financial education background and how they work with people in different life circumstances. Or you could find someone that just looks a lot like you and works a lot like you, and that's fine as well. But this is a space that there has been a boom of financial coaches over the past 10 years. And like anything else, they're not all great. Some of them are really amazing, but they're not all great. And if you just want that kind of like real community and being surrounded by other moms who are doing this work and make you want to be better, the Motivated Mama Society is going to be where you want to be. Um, We'll be announcing that in the email list soon uh, to open up for founding members. And we hope to see you in there, Sadie. Yay. I love these episodes. What did you think of this month's questions, Lauren? There was a good mix in there. Despite the fact that we had lots of 529 questions, the others were all around. I feel like we have a 529 question almost every month. We do. We do. Which is really interesting. (laughs) Coming back to why is this such a complicated topic? Hopefully we can simplify it a little bit through some of these specific Q&As. All right, mamas, as I mentioned at the top of the show, feel free to send me your questions anytime via our voicemail at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail on social media or in our Mamas Talk Money free Facebook group. These Q&A episodes are absolutely some of my favorites. I love getting to hear from you and answer your specific questions. As a reminder, you can view the full show notes of this episode at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 45. You can also head there to download your free family money values template to start a discussion with your family about how you want to handle and talk about money. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time.